Hey, welcome back to Austin Action Fest and Friends for another episode. I am Benjamin Reddick, a.k.a. The Violence Conductor, along with... Danielle Cavanis Weatherford, the queen of the universe. No, golden <laughs> child. <laughs> and we have we have a very special guest with us today, Miss Joanne Butcher, of the founder of Filmmaker Success. I clap for that. Everybody claps. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ms. Butcher. This is going to be exciting. I've seen a lot of your content in the last maybe two or three months, and um, I'm just I'm just excited to get to know you. And I have you drop some pearls of wisdom on our little video here. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the business. Well, how did I get started in the business? It's funny when you were saying about how you love action and um so when i was a young child i used to have movie dream in movies i would dream of um, cowboy and western movies and i was always an indian in my dreams we always won you know <laughs> at the end of the dream it would say the end <laughs> <laughs> so my dreams would always end with the end and um then later in life when i moved to america i moved to miami and um, I was volunteering with this organization and we would show films at this bookstore. And when they moved to Lincoln Road on Miami Beach, they asked us to come with them and then we opened a, book, uh, a cinema next door. So we had a first run cinema, which means that we showed movies the week that they came out with all mm. the press and all of that. And we ran a film school where we taught filmmaking. Um, and then uh, years, we, we were just so popular. We were just an incredibly um, popular organization. People would drive from hours away to come to our cinema. And a, a few years later, I, I had been raising the $500,000 a year or so to run the organization. And I asked some filmmakers who had already made a feature film how we could help them because we were good at helping beginners, but how do we help a more seasoned filmmaker? Mm. And so I got together a whole group of filmmakers and realized that the thing they needed was money and mm. they didn't know how to raise money. They didn't know how to do any of that. And I was already a fundraiser. So I started teaching filmmakers how to raise money. And um, then uh, eventually I left Miami Beach and I moved to San Francisco. And at the time I had decided, that's it, I'm out of film, I'm done, I'm gonna get a real job. And I went and became a fundraiser, raising millions of dollars. And I became what's called a, a capital campaign specialist. And after a few years of that, I became too sick to work. And I spent seven years in bed, not working. And I had, it was migraine. So I basically had like a seven year migraine, if you think of it like that. And um, when I started to emerge from that, you know, it came to me that if I can only work two hours a week or something, four hours a week, then I want to go back to working with filmmakers because those are my favorite people. And so I started work as a business coach. And really it came from the understanding that I, I was a filmmaker. I taught screenwriting. And um, and then I ran a cinema and I worked with distributors and we did, you know, exhibition at the cinema and we did marketing and we worked with the press and we sold tickets. And what I realized when I start when I started coaching was that filmmakers didn't have that whole through line. They didn't really understand the part where you go from writing and production and creating your film to distribution, exhibition and marketing and making money. And so I, I put all that together and that's what I work with with filmmakers. And the funny thing is there's almost nobody in the industry who has that information. So mm. often film festivals and film schools know the creative side, but they don't necessarily know the business side. So I realized I had something to offer. And thank God I'm now well and I work full time. Um, but 
I really started from the concept of like, look, you know, filmmakers are my favorite people in the world. If I can just work two or three hours a week, I'd rather be working with filmmakers. So that's how I started. And I help filmmakers raise money. I teach them how to raise money and I help them raise money. And that's what we do. Awesome. Well, that's actually really interesting because you are definitely in the right place. The whole purpose of our of this, these conversations, is to not just talk to directors and DPs and cinematographers. It's the business side. So we really try to balance out who we chat with so that our filmmakers get that information that you're talking about. So please, if you're at home, get your get your notepads ready. We're gonna we're gonna get as much as Joanne is willing to share with us, and then we're gonna try to con her into coming to our event and maybe doing a panel or something. Because I think that would be just money, money, and just. I was it. just on a panel not yesterday, the Sunday before. We have a festival in Miami called the Urban Film Festival. It was my second year being there. I was on a finance panel. The year before, I was on a distribution panel, and. Um, so wherever I go, I'm always talking about it's either distribution, uh, finance, finding investors for your next film is my favorite class that I teach, mm. um, which is kind of the first one that I teach when I meet a new organization and just introduce the filmmakers to some ideas about thinking about um, actually making money as a filmmaker, which I know this sounds odd, but most have not thought about that. No, it's not odd. Uh, I know a lot of them <laughs> at all. Um, most people, if you talk to them, there's no marketing plan. There is not a, a strategy to get the money back at all. Um, right. So that's not surprising to me. And, and I'm like, mm, no. You know, if, uh, if you were going to be a chef, you might have a passion for food and for cooking, but you would expect to make a living. And so we, if we start from that perspective, which is I'm a filmmaker and I expect to make a living, then, okay, now what do we put in place to make sure that that happens? And mm -hmm. I, for some reason, I just suddenly thought of this story. I don't think I've ever shared this before, but I had a friend who was just in agony about his 21-year-old son who was either sleeping or playing video games. He was like, I don't know, He's just he just plays video games all day long and he doesn't seem to have any interest in getting a job. And I went, oh, what video games does he play? Mm. He was like, well, I don't know. You know, I in two weeks we had that kid at a job interview working for a video game company. Mm. But it's I have just, had this conversation. Not that it's, it's missing the conversation of the opportunity within their environment. Yeah, the, exactly. the the father is freaking out because all my son wants to do is play video games. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, let's get him a job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it, how hard is it? But, yeah. but it's just because people are not thinking about the lucrative nature of this business. And if, you know? if this is something that this person sees as part of their like identity, right, then <laughs> there's ways to connect that to a, a worthwhile career purpose. I, ha I had this conversation with a friend of mine. Um, I mentor youth when I'm not doing this. Sometimes I help out with an organization called Catalyst that mentors uh, kids in juvie or just regular high school kids. Every kid is at risk nowadays. And um, one of the yeah. things that was interesting is that my friend was talking to me about his, his teenager and he said, hey, I want him to play football, but he wants to play video games and he wants to be a pro streamer. And I said, I laugh because I don't think he connects the fact that even though I do film, we, I do a lot of streaming and in, in podcasts. And I said, do you understand what it means to be a pro streamer? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're running a small business. You have to be able to shoot. If you don't have the money, you have to be able to shoot, edit. You have to understand cameras and equipment. There is a bunch that goes into something like this. I said, he's telling you that he wants a trade. Yep, that's right. There's... He, this is your chance to mentor him in business. You just got to set some parameters and some goals for him. And it's funny because I just watched Gran Turismo, uh, I think last night. Yeah, last night. It's all about a kid who wanted to play video games. He wanted to play race car simulators and became an actual professional driver because of it. Nice. And, and, and so, you know, the funny thing is, it's not just the parents of 
video gaming kids. <laughs> but filmmakers themselves have this mm. idea. And so I see this a lot. It's like there's a line. So on the one side, the filmmaker will have, say, skill running a business, or they'll have skill being a manager, or they'll have skill in marketing or something like that. And then they make a big separation and like over here is everything to do with film. And somehow those things are not connected. And mm -hmm. a lot of times in just one conversation, I'll talk to a, a filmmaker and they'll be like, oh, wait, all of that works together. Oh, yeah. I could have film as a business. I could market my business. I could you know, have income coming in from my business. And and really, there's been some kind of disconnect and some kind of separation that had them thinking in the first yeah. place that somehow film is like with art, with a capital A. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't want to I'm sell you my fingers that. with the numbers. I'm, <laughs> I'm really good with, I can see what we're talking about with other people really good mm. and Ben knows that I'm, I'm that marketing strategy type of person and can see the big picture in other people's projects for some reason with mine I tend to do that um, <laughs> I, I don't know why that is but I do it's, it is and so I'm guilty of it I've, I've written a book Danielle about my work it's called getting your fun film funded produced and distributed globally and it's coming out January the 1st okay. and it's, it's about my work but a lot of times I'll find myself writing in the book what I just said, like the thing, the thing about the split, the disconnect that you just identified with. And I'll often find myself saying in the book, now I can't tell you why filmmakers do mm. this. Mm. I can only tell you from the experience of talking to thousands and thousands of filmmakers that this is a fact. Mm -hmm. you know, this is how filmmakers think this is how filmmakers behave, but I can't give you a theory about why. I'll tell you my theory for me. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. So I like to do things on this level up here. I want it to look and feel and move you and, and whatever that is. I like to have the plan together as well. That does that, that misses that piece. You're, you're missing me. I'm missing the piece that I talk about the business planning, that part of that business planning in my head. And I know it is I want this. I have an end goal. It has to move people, but it also has to help me to regenerate funds so I can do something again and again and again and again. And yes. so I get locked in the perfectionism piece of it, mm. which, which to me is, is, is almost a procrastination type of thing that is, it shouldn't really be there. Um, uh, wanting it to be so perfect. It's like that artist drawing, oh, I need to do this one more piece. Oh, I need to do this one more piece. Mm -hmm. It just has to be per perfect. And there is no, it's perfect to the beholder, you know, it's whatever that does to do what it's supposed to do. Perfect so I, my draw is not what we're looking for, right? So exactly. this is what I was saying about this, like the through line that I realized that is missing for filmmakers. So filmmakers are stuck in the, creative, the script, the perfect, whatever that is, yeah. instead yeah. of how do I sell one ticket? Exactly. You know, there's yeah. this story about Steven Spielberg as a teenager making his first film and he made it for $500. And then he rented a theater and he sold seats and he got, and he made $501. Mm. Steven Spielberg was financially successful from his first <laughs> film. Mm -hmm. right? um, but most filmmakers don't have that mindset. Mm -hmm. They don't have the mindset of eventually I need people to pay for the tickets. Yes. And, and because I use the language of money, it was so funny. I just got this new client the other day and I didn't originally speak to him. I spoke to his accountant. Mm. And I was talking to his accountant. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so easy talking to you. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy talking to <laughs> as opposed to talking to filmmakers yeah, yeah. there's all this disconnect with filmmakers and they think that i'm saying something like oh i want you to drop your ideals i want you to sell out i yeah. want you to just care about money i got yelled at the other day on clubhouse by two two filmmakers oh wow because i talked about money 
because I talk about money. And, um, but this is what I would say. Every single filmmaker who is focused on that, you know, initial creative part, the writing, the directing, the acting, ultimately they want people to see. <laughs> and, and if you want Uncle Fred and Auntie Jane and second cousin Mabel to be the only people to watch your movie, then that's basically the way most filmmakers make their films. You know, you were just saying about not having a marketing plan and, exactly. you know, um, whereas once you dissolve that disconnect that I'm talking about and Danielle, you can put back your marketing expertise into your filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Now we get to say, well, my film is suitable for, I don't know, we just talked about kids, high school kids, kids already involved in the juvenile justice system, mm -hmm. kids who are trying to get to college, kids who didn't make it to college, whatever. You know, once we've started to identify who our audience is and we start thinking about marketing and we start getting our film in front of the people who want to or need to see it, you know, and I think in the end, filmmakers identify with that. Mm. They identify with the fact that actually I want my film in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. I don't want it in my drawer. I don't yeah. want it to be oh, my Uncle Fred telling me what a great job I did. I think one of the things that's interesting, always been interesting to me is that, and I come from, when I was younger, I did a lot of like customer service and business and sales mm -hmm. and stuff like that, mm -hmm. was the, the idea of making money to many people was like filthy. They have this thing in there that's, I don't know. I know back in the day, like our, 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 our my mother and my friend's mother, she was a, she was Catholic and she used to say that, you know, money's the root of all evil. So she right. had an aversion to money. And yes. I was always taught from business people that the people who have the most money or the people, who, the reason someone gives you money is that you're serving a need. So mm -hmm. you'll have money if you're filling a need or a gap. So I've never had that aversion. It just made sense to me. And I'll never forget when Alex Ferrari said there's twice as, what he said, there's twice as many letters in the word business as in show, in the word show business. <laughs> and, and I've always said, if we can't do business, there is no show. If we can't make any money, there is no show. And I think it's rude when people want to make a movie using someone else's money telling them they're going to recoup it and you don't really care about recouping the money you know that if you get this movie out it's like your calling card well what about the people who helped you make this movie you don't you should uh, you should have a desire and feel a um a responsibility to to pay that debt back so I've, I've never really understood how people land there. Like, that's fine. If you're going to go do a passion project with your friends out in the woods somewhere, great. You can be as artistic as you I've want. I've those you, movies. Yeah, <laughs> many. I've made a couple of those projects. But if I start asking people for money, we have to talk about that a little bit yes. differently. You know, it's interesting. I have several clients who, before they worked with me, did raise money from investors and lost a lot of money. <sighs> And, um, you know, one of them uh, made two films, very micro budget. So we're not, you know, but still, he said, oh, I had investors in my film and, and it hadn't crossed his mind before he spoke to me and had our initial conversation that he was supposed to make their money back. It had not crossed his mind. Wow. And then, you know, so I said, okay, well, look, you, you, they didn't make their money back. You didn't think about it. I said, damn, you're good. You, you're so good at raising money that you didn't even <laughs> tell them you were going to try to make their money back, right? So I said, look, you know, because my first question always when you've lost money for investors is, are they the kind of investors that are going to break your legs? Mm. Right? Oh. <laughs> because they're out there. Oh. <laughs> I <laughs> that, you know, I am talking to the violence conductor, so, you know, I can make a movie about that. But anyway, okay. um, you know, so they've usually said, no, 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 I'm not going to break my legs. And I said, well, will they talk to you again? And, you know, he said, yes, he said, yes, they would talk to me. I said, okay, how about this? Go and 
speak to them and say, I'm going to work with a business coach who is a fundraising expert who is going to make sure that the next film makes money. Mm. And so he went and had that conversation and the investor came back in. Oh, and wow. really nice, the last thing that happened, <clears throat> he was going to make this film for $300,000 and he just delivered the film to me, finished film, and he did it for $200,000. And he said, you know what? I, I was most of the way through, through production. I was like, I'm going to do this for $200,000. It's like now he's starting to think mm. uh, like a business person yeah, and the film is going to do well. But, you know, and then I've had other clients who I had a client who raised $1.7 million to make a movie wow. before he worked with me. And when I saw the movie, I was surprised that it has made as much as it has. It's made $330,000. Oh, well, that's okay. terrible business. Yeah, but I'm just that saying, wow. Terrible business. But, um, <laughs> you know, and when he came to work with me, I, I asked him the same, those same questions. You know, and will the will the investors speak to you? And he went and he said the same thing to them. Um, he decided to go with making a micro budget film after that, not not a one point seven million dollar film. So he's making that now, and now okay. everything that he's learned from me, want, now that he knows it, he's like, duh. Hmm. You know, it's not like what I'm teaching people is rocket science. Yeah. It's just that this adds up to that. You know, two and two has to equal four. You can't make a movie for $1.7 million and then not do all the, the business things that are going to have it make $1.7 million back. That makes sense. Uh, but that's what he did. And now he now that he understands that and he realizes, it, it's all obvious. But filmmakers don't know this stuff to start yeah. with. Yeah. You know? So do you think that the current, um, the way we're going about making movies, so the, the typical thing I hear is, we do a short, we use a short to raise some kind of money. We raise some money, we do the whole thing, we take it to film festival, run the movie through the film festival, we get as many accolades as possible, hopefully we get a deal. If we don't get a deal, no one wants it at AFM, <laughs> then it goes pretty There's much on problem. a free site. There's the problem. There's the problem. So you're not gonna get your short into a film festival and make a deal at the film festival. Okay, so um, you said, you know, this is not just the Austin Action Fest, it's the Austin Action Fest and market. Most yes. film festivals have no interest in being a market. And I know this for real. I, I've, I've contacted various um, film festival executive directors who I know, and I said, this is a few years ago when I, when I was starting coaching, and I said, hey, you know, Tell your filmmakers, Joanne's going to be at the festival. She's looking to acquire films for distribution. And you know what I got in response? Crickets from. Yes. Absolute crickets. Wow. And, and for the first few times, I couldn't understand it. I'm like, the filmmakers would be so excited to know that there's somebody wandering around who's looking to acquire movies. Yeah. And... The film festival, it took me a while. Film festivals are not in the business of helping filmmakers sell their films. No, yep, most are in the showcasing. They're just there to showcase whatever for their environment. So film festivals are in the business of selling tickets to audience members who watch movies. Mm -hmm. That's what film festivals are for. They are not for the purpose of growing the career of a filmmaker in some way, like including getting their film into distribution. Wow. And, and, and so there are something like 3,300 film festivals in the US. A lot of out them. of those 3,300 <laughs> film festivals, there are maybe something like 10 that have an interest in the business of film or in helping filmmakers expand their careers. And my two that I talk about are the American Black Film Festival that happens in Miami Beach every year and Slam Dance. Wow. You know, now there may be other ones. There may be other ones that do a great one of my clients had a film recently 
I'm not going to remember the name of the first festival, which is great because I can say what I like. Anyway, very little film festival in Florida, very nice. And the I, I hung, I, I went there. My my client came from California with his feature film Homestead. By the way, it won best uh, feature at the film festival. And uh, I met the executive director and talked, and he said, "Oh, we have two distributors coming." He said, "No, we really think about the filmmakers. We have two distributors coming." no distributors were there, mm. you know? Um, and so, but at least he was thinking about it. Yeah. But it didn't happen, you know? And um, we, you know, my client's film was shown at two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Ah. And it won best, best feature. What's that? You know, mm. it should be in Pride. Pride yeah. should mm -hmm. be on. Friday, Saturday, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, something like that. But anyway, all I'm saying is, is that your scenario that you laid out, you make a short, it's a, you know, you get it into film festivals, you get accolades, you get, that's all fine, but it's not gonna help you get to your feature film. And there are, there are exceptions, you know, I became friends with the guys who made The Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm. which they made as a short, it got into Sundance. They leveraged their relationship that they had already built with Barry Jenkins, who they had met while he was in San Francisco making his first film, Medicine for Melancholy, by the way, a $13,000 movie that got into mm. Sundance. And they became mentees of Barry Jenkins, right? So they get their film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, into Sundance, and Barry Jenkins introduced them to A24, who ended okay. up in that film came in the next year, $1.5 million movie. That is a very rare scenario. It does wow. happen. It does happen. But, but not frequently. Very rare. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, we're talking about, you know, somebody who got their short into Sundance. We're talking about Barry Jenkins, who's a genius. As soon as he opens his mouth, you're like, okay, that's a genius. Everybody knows that we're talking to a genius. He made a film for $13,000 that got into Sundance, right? So that's a very rare scenario. And it's wonderful if those things happen to you and you get your film into Sundance and all those things. I have a yeah. different way of doing it, which is. Well, I mean, there's, you know, sure, that's a beautiful. Sure. Let's <clears throat> raise some money, make a movie. Yeah. yeah, that's a Cinderella story. But I mean, the problem is there's only, there's only one slipper. Right. Um, there's, not, there's not a bunch of slippers out there. There's, there's a couple slippers. So, um, no, that is very good. That's a clip. That's absolutely a clip because I've oh, yeah. heard a lot of people talk about this, but I've never heard them put it the way you just did. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that film festivals are not in, they're not interested in that part no. of the filmmaking process or growing your career. And that's I, like, I know that. But that's wild to hear it that like I, I knew it, you know what I mean? Like I knew it, but I hadn't really thought about it that way. I've been yelled at for saying what I just said, you know, but <laughs> the fact is, is that the only film festivals where people make deals are the markets, Sundance, hmm. Toronto, Cannes, Rotterdam, Berlinale, you know, their markets so we call them film festivals, but they're markets, mm -hmm. you know? If you go to Sundance, there's a market happening. All the distribution companies are there. All the films that are in competition are all looking to get distribution at the festival. Um, the same thing for Cannes, the same thing for Toronto. They're talking, Toronto just started yesterday, I think. And they're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, people wanting to sell their film at Toronto. Mm -hmm. and, and we're talking big films with A-list actors, you know, they get their deal at Toronto, you know, but. So or they get the deal before Toronto and announce it at Toronto. And announce it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But those are the markets. So this whole idea that I'm going to make a short and I'm going to get it into a festival and I'm going to win all these awards and that's going to lead to. <clears throat> no. You know, I and I am. Um, I don't know if it's it's back here somewhere. I'm an award-winning. Oh, I'm an award-winning. You're not gonna. Uh, you got scythe on me, are you? Oh no, ma'am. That capacity will not come out. But there's an award back there for a music for a music video. Um, and realistically, and this is pure hubris, but I 
I kept hearing everyone say award-winning filmmaker on their on their resumes or whatever. So I started looking up the film festivals yes. that people had won the awards in, and I'm like, yes. these aren't highly competitive competitions. So then I was like, great, I'm going to be an award-winning filmmaker. Right. So I made a rap song about fashion, and it's ridiculous. And then I threw it in a bunch of festivals. And we won awards. And that's how I became an award winning filmmaker. And, and it's exactly as you said, there was no one knocking on my door. Nobody uh, came and handed me a check. I don't even think I won. I didn't win anything. I got like an award. You won an but award. Yeah, I'm but like, I didn't get like I'm an award winning filmmaker too. I've got few right? of them. <laughs> so, I didn't even I get like a, a clients to never say I'm an award winning. Oh, <laughs> interesting. So tell us why. Because it has no value. Ooh. So once you once once you start saying to everybody, "I'm an award-winning filmmaker," yeah. and it has zero value, then you're devaluing yourself. As far as I'm concerned, I've never been asked to explain mm. why I say that. But you know, for me, um, I love. I just posted one of my clients <laughs> just won like four awards at a film yeah. festival, and I just posted. I'm like, congratulations. That's yeah. awesome, you know, but to me, the bottom line that I want for my clients is that they get distribution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so getting into the, you know, Rapid City Film Festival and winning an award is not going to get you distribution. So and, I love all those. I, um, yeah. I just told the story about my yeah. My I, I drove two hours to go see my client's film at a film festival. I'd seen the film. I went <laughs> have fun at a film festival. I love yeah. film. Great. And network. What I'm saying is that's not where the business happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And what, what surprised me about that whole plan was, you know, I, I had been in competitions like um, Film Riot did something here and it was sponsored by Black Magic. So there was like gear that you could mm -hmm. win. And I was like, cool. And so when I submitted to all these film festivals on Film Free, I'm like, okay, great, I'm going to do that. Maybe we'll win some stuff. We won some awards for another project. Mm. I didn't get any free software. I didn't get a, a trial to write or duet. Uh, shout out to Writer Duet in the corner, as you can see there. Um, at least it, at, at our event that is more of a market, like you said, than a film, just a film festival, we make sure to give people like tools or backstage passes or something because – a lot of the filmmakers are going, you're spending, you're spending a bunch of money for the film festivals as well. And as you're saying, you're not probably going to get a deal out of it. You're not getting distribution out of it. And after that year, after they've gotten that showcase out of you, they're probably not going to show your project again. And it's just, it's just kind of dead in the water. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. You just spent a whole bunch of money. That's exactly right. Right. So I would prefer to see a filmmaker. Um, one of my mantras is two shorts and a feature. Partly that's the Barry Jenkins path. He mm. made two shorts, then he made a feature for $13,000, you know, not very much money. But so, you know, a lot of times filmmakers will get be making short after short after short. No. Get on to making a feature. The feature film is the doorway to the industry. That is what's going to get you into the industry, and that's what's going to start you earning money on your film, right? So, do you, so how do you feel about series compared to right now in it's this moment? It's not the way to get into the industry. Mm, okay. No, it's not the way to get into the industry. Every filmmaker now asks, "I want to make," says, "I want to make a series." But imagine, I, my number, my lowest number to make a feature is forty thousand dollars. I know people have done it for less, but I'm like, let's raise at least $40,000 to make a feature. Mm. Uh, most of my clients raise more than that, but it, not that much more, 70, 80, 100,000, you know, um, the, the ones who are making the micro budget films. Um, but to me, if you can raise $40,000, it's time to make a feature. Now, imagine if you can make a 70, 80 minute film for forty thousand dollars, that's you. Re, you're going to have to be very creative. Too. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I always say, if you're making a film for forty thousand dollars and it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of favors. 
It's we're a lot good. of favors. We're good, yeah. right? And if we can get distribution, which is my lowest goal for anybody, that they get distribution. So that's a starting point, okay? Now, imagine if you have to make a series, and let's call it even a six-part series, and you have six half hours. How many hours is that? That's three hours. How much mm. money do you need to make three hours of content? Mm. And, and if you can be brilliant and creative for 70, 80 minutes to make a feature film, how much more brilliant and creative you have to be to get three hours and you still don't have any money. It doesn't work. <laughs> Plus, and this is the other thing, the business doesn't work like that. The, the, the platforms are not looking to buy series. They're not looking to buy completed series by independent mm. filmmakers. It's not their business model. So I make this speech all the time because nowadays, it used to be every filmmaker wanted their film at Sundance. Then for 10 years or so, it was, I want my film on Netflix. I still hear that mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. The client I just got where I met his accountant first, I want my film on Netflix. That's okay, you know? But now it's become, I want to make a series. But people are not thinking about the money, you know? It, 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 I mean, to really be able to compete, the lowest budget I've seen for a really competitive piece of work that was a six series, six hour, six, um, I think, hour long series, it was a documentary piece, was $300,000. Oh. And that was a company that owned, it was a production company, they owned all its equipment, they basically didn't pay anybody, they made their show for $300,000. That's the lowest budget I've ever seen to get something that could actually sell. Wow. Okay. So, so, so it's like, oh, I want to make a series. Great. Where are you going to get the money for it? So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so boring. No, I mean, I mean no. Where's we love it. Where's the money? Where's so, the money? <laughs> so if, let's Where's just say, question for you. So whatever question it is, the answer is, where's the money? <laughs> okay, so let's say they have the money for the series. Is <laughs> the it still, yeah, let's just say they have money for to do series. Okay, You're able to work with whoever said, whoever their investors are. They want, I want to, I like it. I see it. It's a series, a high so fantasy series. Who's going to buy it? This would be my, so that's, so they is it that they're seeing all these different things? Like I'm, I'm a series nut on Apple TV and everything else. I love watching over, you know, the next, the next, the next, the next. Yeah. Do you know what the budgets are on those shows? They're obnoxious. Yeah. They're, they're high. No, I mean, they're, they're spending multi-millions of dollars yeah. per episode. Yeah. Yeah. This one. Oh. Can a beginner filmmaker compete with that? Not on an Apple. Probably no, not. I don't no. see it. I don't see it. So I'm 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 happy to change my mind once I see companies buying finished series. Got if it. if somebody has been able to raise the money, but if if you can raise five or six hundred thousand dollars, I would I would just make a feature film. Sure. Mm. You, you can make a feature film, and you can use that to shop your series. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, but but if mm. you make if you I, I, I think the next filmmaker I'm going to talk to says, you know, I, I may, I'm going to make a pilot. How much money can you make from a pilot yeah. if it doesn't sell? How much money can you make? Please answer the question. Yeah. What? I no, do not know. No, because the pilot's not, it's not a completed project. So it you, is can't, you can't sell a pilot. So yeah. all I'm saying is I always make my, my speech, make a feature film. You can sell the feature and you can use it to shop your series. That makes sense. I mean, unless you have made the most magical thing ever and you can some, you have some kind of crazy fan base that already exists and they're going to pay you to do stuff like that. Cause I did weirdly enough, I did see a group of people and it's really unfortunate. I don't even know what happened, but there was a group of people doing, um, they're big into stunts and VFX. And they were doing like anime stuff before it was cool, right? Mm. And they had a ravenous base and they did a crowdfund for about a hundred grand. Mm. And we were supposed to get a series out of that. Mm. And we got like two episodes mm. and then it just 
just disappeared. And I was like, what is going on here? It's and I never too, it's like, it's, it would be like saying, okay, I'm going to go from zero to um, working on weightlifting. Mm. Right. And I'm going to bench press my body weight today on my first day. Probably not. Probably. <laughs> right. But that's what it's saying when you're saying, I'm going to make a series, an anime series. Oh my God. You know, yeah. but they could have taken that $100,000 and instead of two episodes, they could have made a feature and then started making money from the feature. Right. Sure. And then use that feature to shop their series. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, and I know a couple of people interested in doing series, but those are passions of love, and they are doing no budget stuff, and they're fine with that, which is very different from what we're talking about, which is how do I make my money back, and how do I have a career and feed my family to do that? May I translate <clears throat> what passions of love means? Go yes, it. it means I'm going to spend my own money on something that can never make any money. That's what that translates into. Yeah. I mean, yes. And so I started out as an experimental filmmaker working in Super 8, and I, I, you know, but eventually, you know, you want to sort of move on. It's got to change. Yeah. So, so I do have a question in reference. They get tired of eating the ramen noodles. Totally understandable. Uh, I'm married. My wife is not going to eat ramen every single day. Uh -oh. So I have to, I have to be. <laughs> Like she even gets mad if I like do favors sometimes for people. She's like, "Is it paid?" Right. I'm like, "Listen, honey, paid? I owe I owe this guy." Okay, just oh, okay. it'll it'll be fine. Um, so you know, if we're talking about someone who's who's going through the process, besides contacting you and getting premium, optimal, top of the line coaching, what are some some actionable steps some filmmakers can take? Um, who are trying to be profitable with their projects? What are some things they should be on the lookout for doing just to get started on the right foot? Well, you know, the first thing that I would say is when that, when you deliver that film to the distributor, I don't want you to be owing anybody any money. Mm. Right. So, um, and I believe in, as I said, even at a number like 40,000 as a sort of beginner number and, 40000 is a lot of money. If I had $40,000 that I could spend today on something, you know, that would be cool, right? So $40,000 is, I think of that as the, the lowest bar where everybody can get paid a little bit, everybody gets to eat, yeah. and when the film is finished, you don't owe anybody any money. Um, so that's kind of the first concept. And even if you're making a short film, you know, raise the money first, so that that money doesn't come out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't like the idea of filmmakers using their own money and getting broke making films. Mm. Yeah. So if, if you can raise the money and make the, make the film, when you deliver it, you don't owe any money, ideally to yourself. I always say for people who invest in working with me, we're going to add my services to the budget so that by the time you deliver the film, you don't owe yourself any money either. Because we mm. want to make your wife happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to make her happy big time, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to get yelled at. Happy. So then, worst case scenario, let's say that movie that you've delivered to the, the only makes five bucks. You know what? That's your five bucks. Mm. Right? I see what you're saying. Well, if the movie makes good money, that money is yours. Right. So that's the way that I that's the way I like to work, that we're going to raise the money up front and then make the movie. So it sounds like you're saying that if you're a starving artist, that's just a translation for you doing bad business. I think <laughs> it's a concept and a mindset. I'll tell you this right before COVID, when I was still living in San Francisco, I went to this event and it was for actors and filmmakers. And they had a whole room, like 100, 150 actors and filmmakers in the room. And then they had some of us who were teachers, you know, who got up and gave a little five-minute presentation. So I did my little presentation, and this acting 
coach gets up on stage and she says, um, well, you know, I've been coach teaching for a long time. I love my work. And of course, you know, as actors, we, we love what we do and we know we're not going to make any money doing it. And, you know, and I swear, I, <laughs> I thought about for a second, I thought about leaping up on the stage and grabbing her by the throat just to demonstrate to everybody how I felt about what she said. Yeah. That's because rough. how can you, as an acting teacher, be passing on that to your students? You know how much money people make from acting? Yeah. But if you are teaching people how to act, but you're failing to teach them the business, Oof. to me, that is wrong. Now, I'm not saying by any means that all acting teachers teach the business. I have a very good friend. He doesn't teach people the business. He teaches mm -hmm. them how to act. Mm -hmm. But for me, and if you're not going to teach them the business, then keep your mouth shut about how much people are going to earn or not earn. One of, been there. Yeah. This yeah. is interesting because it it kind of it kind of makes some other conversations that are happening right now make sense. You know, so everything going on with the strike and everybody's weighing in on that. And I'm like, I don't know enough to have a real strong opinion about it. But every time I've heard someone post about it, I said, they're like, oh, well, the business is, you know, this or the business is that. And in my mind, I'm going, you're not an employee. You're self-employed. You're a business. So what did your contract look like? What did their contract look like? Where did the money go? What did it cost to do all this? Are we cross collateralizing uh, four or five projects? And so your project looks profitable, but it's paying for these three or four other failures. What's happening? Because I don't know enough to have, I'm hearing a lot of strong opinions and I don't know. And at the, so at the end of the day, I'm like, know your business, know the contracts, know if you're getting proper value for what you're, you're putting in and for your part. Um, are you willing to gamble on yourself? Will you take less money for more back in? Okay, I just want to say something about the strikes. You know, mm -hmm. so I think you were getting to it. Will you take money on the back end? Yeah. So um, the way that the AMPTP uh, companies are treating the writers and the actors, I think is appalling. Mm -hmm. Let's just leave it there. Copy. It's appalling. And whatever BS they have to say about, oh, you know, <laughs> oh we have no money, whatever. It's, it's complete BS, right? <clears throat> you know, the film industry has been an expert in laundering money for uh, over 100 years, you know? And, and, and teaching the buy. I, this is one of the things you'll hear people say who are nothing to do with the industry. Oh, you know, movies don't make any money. They only make money on the concessions. Bullshit. And you hear people who, ha who know nothing about the industry. We say have that. all been trained to believe that the, the companies that make the big movies are just suffering and have no yeah. money. Mm. And we've all been trained to tell that story because mm. you know what? They're storytellers, so they're good at it. Anyway, Ooh. so don't buy any of that. But the thing that I think is really interesting is that um, back in June, when the strike had just started, um, I have four uh, clients who are making films at like one and a half to $5 million. And of course, they need to hire celebrity actors to make that money back yeah and so we were like oh wow you know we're not going to be able to move forward with those films because of the strike then in june actually at the american black film festival there was um a guy who owns a studio not one of the amptp members 300 members but anyway he said no sag is giving out these interim agreements mm -hmm. and independent filmmakers can have get an interim agreement so I, I immediately, but like by that evening, I had called all those four clients <laughs> and, you know, they all started working on, on their interim agreement. Now, one awesome. of the clients um, is making a film in Trinidad and Tobago. I'm half Trinidadian. And oh. we were told that you can't get an interim agreement for a movie made outside the country. And I was like, really? 
I wonder what that's about, you know? Well, eventually I realized that the last time they had the strike, the AMPTP members made movies abroad uh, to get around the strike. So they, they paid people a whole lot less money in foreign countries to make films that would mean that they could keep providing content while the uh, strike was on. So I was like, oh, so that's why SAG won't let this Trinidadian movie happen. Well, you know what? Mm. Guess which movie got their interim agreement completed first? The Trinidadian movie. Because ultimately, uh, what SAG is doing is saying, we want you, our members, to go out and work. We want you to work with independent filmmakers, not with those people who don't want to pay. You know, exactly. we want you to work with independent filmmakers. We want you to negotiate whatever your rate mm. is, back end, and da da da. I was just e emailing one of my clients about a movie made in Puerto Rico. I just have to let somebody in. Oh, one second. On. Sorry. Go for it. I'm going to. This light is so bright. But, <laughs> um, sorry about that. No, it's no problem. Um, and so they're encouraging their actors nice. to do this and to work in the way that really works best for independent filmmakers, which is I hire, you know, um, Miss Famous Person to be in my movie and I give Miss Famous Person some back end because I can't really afford to pay her much more than, you know, SAG, whatever their minimum is. Yeah. And um, and now we all benefit because Miss Famous Person is going to market my movie, you know? Exactly. And so SAG is encouraging its members to do this and mm. to work with independent filmmakers because they need to learn that whole piece of the business. Yeah. Because, you know, when the strike is over and the networks and whoever um, are done with whatever they're trying to get away with, um, <laughs> They're not going to be interested in paying those actors on the back end. Correct. And it's they interesting. And it's an interesting thing that I've, I mean, if you're probably, I don't know, I guess if you're Tom Cruise, they might talk to you about that. But if, if you're mm -hmm. a day player, it's not happening for you. Um, no. But that's one of the interesting things. I've always been a proponent of independent filmmaking because my understanding was I don't like any situation where I have absolutely no moves and no power, no yep. choices. So when I hear filmmakers say, well, we don't have a choice. I'm like, ah. uh, yes, you if do. you're in an industry where you don't have a choice on how, different ways to make money, you're, you're not doing something um, in what I would consider to be the safest way. I've always been taught, you know, they say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, my, my logic has always been my hand should be holding one of the handles to one of those baskets at least. So, if I have people who are putting out independent projects, or if I at least know I can go do that, that's a threat to the people who don't want to pay you. And I think that that's a good thing. People to know, hey, man, I want to work with you. But I don't need you to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good position to like, be in. I like the idea of being a threat. Yes. I mean, yeah. you know, and I think that's what's happening right now. A couple of the blogs that I read, one by producer Ted Hope, one by um, film festival guy David Poland. But anyway, they were both talking about this this morning, that the way that we can be a threat is hmm. to really learn how to make this money. I mean, for example, August is the 10-year anniversary of the founding of Pluto TV, which was the oh. first... Mm -hmm. Um, AVOD platform that I became aware of mm. and um, I love Pluto TV and I was like wow what are they doing and how is this happening you know and and so I was watching it a lot and um, anyway so it's been around for 10 years so there is a uh, I'm not sure that we can continue with all the noise I'm sorry we had it's a, a okay we'll, we'll tighten uh, it up in a minute yeah speaking but um so there was no AVOD income before 10 years ago. And so now what's happening is Tubi has kind of risen to be the, the big one. Fox yeah. put in a whole bunch of money into Tubi. I think it's by far the best algorithm of any of the streamers. Interesting. And particularly 
um, filmmakers who make films for underserved audiences are doing very well on two beats. Very noticeable. I've heard. African-American filmmakers. African-American filmmakers making action movies. <laughs> right? Uh, they're doing very well on Tubi and making money. And you know what I keep saying? I'm, I mean, I'm like Miss Positive. Let's do it. Let's go make some money. Let's go make another movie. But the truth is, is that once the big guys figure out that filmmakers are making movies, they'll shut it down. Oof. <laughs> but, but right now, that's what's happening. You Copy know? that. So, you know, if you are working for an underserved audience that really doesn't have the kind of content that they want to have mm -hmm. if you look on netflix or whatever apple or whatever it's probably on tubi and interesting and filmmakers are really making money there copy that well i think yeah. that's a really good place to put a pin in it i'll let you let you take care of some things at the homestead but Thank you so much, Joanne, for being with us and sharing some knowledge. Yeah, We're going to do this again. I'm going to get you to Texas. We're going to have you at AFF. AAF, oh, uh, I love it. I have, have some fun. You know, I have set out to go to Austin on more than one occasion and not made it. All right. We're a good reason to come hang out with. I lost a ticket that I had bought to go oh. to Austin. And, and oh. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll take care of that. We're going to take care of that. Um is there anything you want to let people know where to find you or yeah, anything you want to say to closing? Um, find me on uh, my website, Filmmaker Success. Also across social media, I'm Joanne Film. So Joanne, F-I-L-M, and on Instagram and all of that. So and the best thing to do is to just is to set up a call with me, a Filmmaker Success Breakthrough Session, and we'll talk about money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I am so into raising money. I, I, I just I just forwarded I, I worked with this nonprofit. They were a one point two million dollar nonprofit. I worked with them for three months. We raised two point two million dollars. That's awesome. Okay. Today I saw this email. They they work in uh, they give fellowships to photographers and they are interested hmm. in local news. And I got this email today about this foundation giving money. And I forwarded it to the ED. I said, and she wrote back and she said, yes, we got $3 million. Oh, wow. Ooh. So their whole organization has been transformed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so when I, I'm always talking about money, 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 money. But when I see filmmakers have this transformation that they go through when they work with me of becoming people who also are like, where's the money? who start earning more money, who raise money to make films, who get money, get films into distribution, that start making money and, and start really seeing, no, this is a career. This is where I'm going to make my money. This is how I'm going to make my wife happy by bringing, bringing in the money. It, it's absolutely amazing to see that transformation happen for filmmakers once they grasp this, this concept of... Um, yeah, I can I can build a career with this. Copy that. Well, that is a perfect place to put a pen in it. We've been on here for about an hour. Thank you so much for sh coming and sharing with us Thank and straightening you. some things out. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna plan on doing a deep dive in 2024, the next event, or maybe before then. We'll talk. We'll we'll figure some things out with Miss Joanne. Uh, Danielle, anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. And you dropped a whole bunch of knowledge on a lot of people that have never heard it before. So I really, really appreciate that. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. It was our pleasure. Again, guys, thanks for joining in with uh, and, and hanging out with Austin Action Fest and Friends. This will be up on the tubes and the rumbles and the whatnots and the pod beans and all the things. Like, share, Write comments in the, in, the, in the comment section, engage with us, share this. This information is intended to make sure that us filmmakers can get out here, filmmakers, actors, everyone involved in the process, pay some bills and still work on the thing that you love doing. You don't have to necessarily leave the place that you are in in order to make that happen. That is a big part of what we're trying to promote here. Just stay focused, keep fighting, and continue to ask, where's the money? Catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Thanks, Julian. <laughs>